I'm in, in Atlanta in my man cave, and <laughs> I'm wearing... Oh, oh, oh wow. That's George Jones. He is wearing an amazing Harvard class of 1963 sweatshirt to this taping session of the Last Negroes at Harvard podcast. I'm Kent Garrett. George and I were in the group of 18 Negroes, as we were called back then, admitted to the Harvard class of 1963. We're all pushing 80 now, have been through a lot, have seen a lot, and have a lot to say. Also with us on this episode are classmates Jerry Secundi, Fred Easter, and John Woodford. Plus, we're joined by Dr. Adrian Jones, George's daughter, who teaches at Morehouse College and is an expert on voter suppression. So uh, how is everybody? Let me start with uh, Jerry. How are you and where are you? I'm fine. I'm in Pasadena, California. I wish I could say I'm enjoying being isolated, but I'm not. So I'm probably still driving my wife crazy at this point, but uh, we're doing fine. And uh, Freddie, where are you? I'm in Prior Lake, Minnesota. Uh, about a third ring suburb south and west of Minneapolis. And I would be having much more trouble with being quarantined, not quarantined, but isolated if I was not a Go player. I get to play a lot of Go. Oh, wow. That's good. And uh, John, where are you? Where are you, where are you today? I'm, I'm here in Ann Arbor. I tried to learn Go, Freddie. You're got a lot more gray matter, I guess, than I do. They say there's a kind of go, they derogatorily called it something in Japanese, but it meant someone who can't see far ahead. The Every little move is like a kindergarten move till everything's obvious and it takes forever. And that's the kind of go that it turned out that I played. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrific game. It's pretty. It cured me from being a type A personality. <laughs> and finally, we have Adrian Jones with us, who is a doctor of, uh, she teaches down at Morehouse. She's uh, George's daughter, and uh, she is an expert on voter suppression, which we're going to sort of talk about today. So Adrian, how are you doing, doing and where are you? I'm doing well. I'm in Atlanta, down the street from my dad. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, let me start off. What What is the status of the situation now in terms of voter suppression? How bad is it and where, and where is it very bad? Um, in our last primary on June 9th, we saw a lot of problems <clears throat> in elections in Atlanta and our governor and secretary of state blamed it on the counties and the counties blamed it on the secretary of state and the governor. And then the Secretary of State attempted to refuse to send absentee ballots out for the August, I think there's a runoff. Um, I should be more specific, but there's another smaller election in August, and then of course the presidential election in November. And so they managed to not pass a bill that said that the governor and the secretary of state didn't have to send out absentee ballots and they still will not but now the counties are going to, to do it so there's a process for people to, to apply for an absentee ballot get one and participate in the elections so is it going on across the whole country this whole voter suppression thing 
it is. Um, it is primarily in states where the state government is dominated by Republicans because they're very concerned that if everyone turns out to vote, that they're not going to be able to maintain their executive position and of course some of their um, congressional and then some state leadership roles. So there's all kinds of uh, ways that states are affecting voter suppression. In Georgia, we've seen closing polling places, particularly in areas that are dominated by black populations. We've seen the use of this exact match law where if your name, let's say you're a Latino person, it's a good example of an Emory professor who's Latino and so his name had a number of words in it. And if the names don't match exactly with what has been entered by of course someone else on your registration, then they won't let you vote. Um, they have limited, they do have a, a limit on registration. You have to do it within a particular period of time. Um, there's limits now on early voting, at least compared to what there used to be. Uh, because of COVID this time, arguably, and because of the closing of the polling places, there are, they've combined precincts. So on June 9th, we saw incredibly long lines. So um, up to seven hours. Uh, we got new voting machines this year and they didn't work. So in the morning of the election, some of the places, and I have to say that near me, which is not a predominantly black area, there were long lines for similar reasons, but there mm -hmm. were definitely long lines in areas where black people live. And um, so the machines didn't come on or they weren't working or the scanners that are necessary for the machines or the iPad um, tools that they were using to check people in. These items either weren't up and running in the morning or broke throughout the day. Right. Some of the, some of the locations didn't have enough materials like provisional ballots or the paper that you needed in order to use the machines that are new that are supposed to be working. And the thing about these machines is that they also purchased these trailers essentially that the machines travel on. And so, once the, the, the voting machines are in the trailers, they can be set up. So presumably when you drop machines off at the precincts, they should already be in working order. Working order, right. But right. of course they were not. Um, a lot of people were lost as poll workers because of COVID. And so they had to get a number of poll workers very late in the game. And all of those people basically did this online training and so a lot of them were not informed about when a person deserved a provisional ballot or what if they hadn't received their absentee ballot could they still vote at the precinct um the website to tell people where to be was down in the morning and so wow. some people who of course had been moved because their precincts had been um, consolidated didn't know where to go so they ended up at precincts where they were told they couldn't vote I mean, it was just a plethora of crazy. Wow, wow. Well, Freddie, anything happening out your way? I mean, is that happening out your way at all, Fred? Um, our governor is, is a Democrat. Ah. And uh, the House is Democratic. The, the state Senate is Republican-controlled. 
but we can vote by mail, we can vote early, we can register the day of the, of the voting. Um, it's, wow. it's a simple matter. Well, that's good. <laughs> How about you, John? Our, we also have a Democratic governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, and um, they're making it, they've got paper ballots out, mail-in ballots all over the place. I, um, I hope they all work, but I think it's relatively easy to vote. And of course, uh, it's a matter of getting people out. We had enough people in our county who were eligible and had been voters, enough Democrats, that our county alone could have defeated Trump in the state of Michigan if people had voted at the rate they did right. at the last Obama election. It's just one county, so that's how it was just 10,000 votes. So yeah, yeah. that's the other thing of getting people out to vote. But I'm wondering, uh, hearing what's going on in Georgia, um, Melanie, in your district, it, was it a Democratic district still that you vote in? I don't know the answer to that. I would mm. argue that Fulton County is probably largely Democratic, but I, I don't know. Because I wonder now whether you said they had lines in your area too, even though it wasn't predominantly black. Using their computers, I'm figuring now that they can probably target uh, likely Democratic majority districts here and there which also covers their tracks from their uh, race-based denial to show that they'll probably say, oh, look, well, you know, other people had to stand in line too. I'm, yes. I think they probably, That's a good I know point. they're very sophisticated computers. Yeah. Well, George, you're in, Phil you're in uh, Fulton County as well then, right? No, I'm not, Ken. I'm actually in DeKalb County. Uh-huh. And DeKalb County is definitely blue. And I don't want to, I need to look to see what these statistics in terms of the extent to which there was, were these kinds of problems here in DeKalb County. But my impression from what I remember is that this was one of the, the places where there were significant problems in terms of people standing in line for hours to vote. Right, right. And there's one other important consideration that I think is that, 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 it's, that it's worth noting here. And that is that there are a lot of us who believe that a lot of this wouldn't be going on if it hadn't been for the voter suppression that resulted in Stacey Abrams not winning the governorship. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Jerry, what about you in California? What's going on, you guys? Well, Kent, we are in a different world. Uh, the biggest complaint we get is somebody had to stand in line for 10 minutes and they're saying, geez, couldn't I just go in and vote and come right back out? Uh, a lot of our voting is done by absentee. There are no long lines. There's no suppression whatsoever. And that's not only true for California, but also for Oregon and Washington. So uh -huh. we just don't have the problem on the West Coast at all. Wow. Uh, it's wow. a very easy, simple system. Yeah. Well, so your results come in the same day as the rest of the country because they've been counting for two weeks. That's just about correct because there's so many absentee ballots that are cast and they start counting them right away. They don't wait till the end, where some mm -hmm. other, uh, other states do. Democrats have not been a fraud, but Republicans may be <laughs> uh, voting by mail seven and eight per person in 2020. That's a possibility that uh, occurs to me, at least. What do you think about that, Adrian? 
Um, I agree. I think that the fraud is on the Republican side. Um, I wanted to mention that this, in these next couple elections, Georgia will be able, Georgia counties will be able to start counting absentee ballots earlier, which I, which will be an excellent choice because it means that the results can come out more quickly. But I think that, I mean, it's been proven repeatedly that voter fraud is not an issue, number one. Right. Number two, I've seen that people who do fraudulent voting, the small percentage of people who actually pull it off, they're, um, they're identified extremely quickly or, you know, combined with those people who just made a mistake, let's say. They're right. found, I mean, it's no problem for them to find you and let you know that you voted in the wrong place or whatever happened. Um, and, you know, it's clear that they continue to claim that voter fraud exists and that this is a major problem and it just isn't. I mean, it's a, it's a ruse, it's a gaslight. It, it doesn't make any logical sense except to persuade people to have misinformation and live from a, a posture that they can't trust the voting system. And I think that's a negative impact on, on both parties, right? Because then Democratic voters don't want to go out because they think it doesn't work or they're going to get in trouble. And Republican voters, you know, are skeptical about the system and don't want to believe the results. But the president, of course, really wants people to not believe the results, particularly if the election doesn't go his way in November. Right, 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 right. One of the things, one of the things that I wonder about is there is no process that I'm aware of for how you unregister. I've registered in Massachusetts twice, um, New York twice, um, Miami, Minnesota twice, California when I lived there once, and I've never told the officials that I'm, I'm leaving now. Uh, please take my name off the vote. I mean, I don't go vote there, obviously. But they don't seem there's no way you can no form I've ever seen that says please unregister me at this address. Yeah, I Well, how does that work, Adrian? Do you know, I mean, in terms of if you don't vote a certain number of times or in a certain number of election cycles, do you automatically get off the list or what? So another tactic is to purge voting rolls, which has also happened in the state, which I forgot to mention. And um, it is true that there is not a deregistration. People are on their honor to vote in the district where they live and to follow the rules and register in their new state and location. At the same time, the only instances that I've heard of people using their, you know, I used to live in North Carolina and now I live in South are Republican voters. I've only heard a few of those stories, but they were Republican voters driving right. back and forth. Right. Um, you know, and then want to claim they had dementia or something. <laughs> I didn't realize that, you know, they Correct. had been imposed in two states. Correct. But, um, it, I mean, I, I also have never heard anybody complain that there's a need for people to deregister. Um, but when they purge, like in a state like Georgia, what they'll do is they'll send a mailing, they'll claim that you didn't get the mailing, and they're mailing it to you because you haven't voted, I think, in the last two elections. Right. And then they'll purge you as a result. And the bottom line is, you know, the right to vote is not in the Constitution, but if you live in an area 
if you're registered there, you should be able to vote. There's no reason to be purging voters except to make it difficult for people to show up. We already have low turnout in the United States. It's not like everyone busting down doors to go vote. Although one of the results of voter suppression is voter motivation. And right. so, um, you know, Republicans were disappointed to see how many Democrats turned out on June 9th, for example. Like, people turned out because they don't want their voices to be silenced. And while we were talking, I did look up California. And basically, if you are uh, not currently in the state or federal prison or on parole for the conviction of a felony, you can vote. In other words, if you're no longer on parole and you're a felon, you can vote in California. Oh, that's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how do you feel about that, Adrian? Uh, should prisoners be allowed to vote or since there's so many black folks in prison? Prisoners should be able to vote unless they're um, incarcerated for voter fraud. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd agree. Right. In my mind, I just don't understand why if I murdered somebody down the street, what does that have to do with my vote for president? Correct. The ability to limp, to suppress votes by arresting people and incarcerating them, to me, it just, it, there's no logic there. Let me, let me ask you guys how you feel about this. This was a piece that, uh, that came up in the news this week, and I guess John and I talked about it on the radio station, but basically it's that Harvard is uh, bringing everybody back online next year, but they're charging them $49,000, the full tuition. And it has led to a lot of outrage. I understand the logic, Kent. Uh -huh. But it seems to me that with a 30 or $35 billion endowment, exactly. Harvard could take the hit. <laughs> right. Take a few, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, let, let, me, let me jump in because actually the last I saw it was about a $41 billion endowment. It's the largest endowment of any educational institution in the world. But the trouble is they have about 15, over 15,000 different endowments, and they can't just use that money any way in which they would. I was chairman of a small liberal arts college in Arizona called Prescott College, and we had small endowments. And they're not fungible is what it amounts to. But if I had a child at this point in time that was about to go to Harvard or any other you know, selective institution, I'd probably say take a year off. I wouldn't spend $49,000 yeah, for a lot of money. classes over the internet is what it amounts to. So, Yeah, right. My oldest granddaughter has just finished her sophomore year at Yale. And she was online from like late February, early March on in this year. Mm -hmm. And she is taking next year off. She says she has no intention mm -hmm. of finishing her college uh, education from a computer in St. Louis, Missouri, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when they get everybody on campus to mix it up and, and make it like it was, She'll go back, but yeah, she's going to yeah. go to work until then. Yeah, Morehouse, what happens there? Same thing. Um, their goal is to have freshmen back mm -hmm. and to have upper-class students either stay home or live off campus. And then they have offered us the option to teach either a combination of online and in-person or just online. Mm-hmm. I am under the impression that the tuition will be the same. I am under the impression that it is about $50,000. Mm. Wow. Um, wow. I have definitely seen students last semester 
uh, interested in getting refunds for portions of, you know, especially so like your meal plan, your residential situation. Yeah. Um, I don't know because, you know, Morehouse does not have the same kind of endowment that some of these other schools have. And, um, you know, these institutions need to keep running. And I am, based upon the financial challenges that Morehouse has, I am perpetually frustrated with the fact that endowments do limit money. Um, but it is clear that people want to donate specifically. They do not want to provide unrestricted funds, which is what most institutions, particularly institutions that are in financial trouble or near it, they really need unrestricted money. Yeah. And yeah. so. I mean, how do they restrict the money? What do you mean? Like for so certain? I'm, yeah, I'm a donor and I want to donate to scholarships. So it can only be used for scholarships. Oprah Winfrey paid for scholarships. Um, you know, recently we got a huge gift from Netflix. That's scholarship money. Um, we've got money from Oprah Winfrey, big money, scholarships. You can't use it for operations to pay. You can't, pay, you can't use it for operations. You can't use it for faculty salaries. You can't mm -hmm. use it for, you know, if I'm a biologist and I'm there, I want to donate to biology. I can't use that money for... Wow. Chemistry or math. Um, or to pay the light bill. Exactly. I can't upgrade my buildings. I can't. There are so many. I mean, these restrictions mean that you can't. You don't just have money. <laughs> you have resources Accounts. for a particular thing. Yes. Why, why do people Accounts. donate yes. like that, though? It's just, I mean, how does that happen in a sense? They just they designate it when they give the money. No, I know, yeah. but I mean, why? I mean, rather than doing it generally, I guess they. They well, like people visit the places like a lot of them here. If they like the library or they like a certain room or they like sports, then they like to go and if they give a lot, strut around and it's like their place and their names on something if they give enough and and the faculty come out and pat them on the back and they have some receptions so they have a they have places that they want to identify with because of their experiences at the school that's sort of right thing. right and that's what they do they, they earmark it it's it's i mean it predominant gifts that are made to these institutions are predominantly restricted gifts mm -hmm. so that means that freddie you're going to give all your money to adam's house is that is that where you were <laughs> both dollars <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say here a lot of the professors. And I'm going to give it to the pool room at Adam's house, too. Pool room. <laughs> the pool. <laughs> pool room. Yeah, that pool room. I remember that's where I listened to Muhammad Ali beat uh, Sonny Liston the first time we mm -hmm. on the radio. But um, a lot of places here, a lot of the faculty don't want to get out there and be exposed to the students. Oh, then we're telling the school oh, no. for COVID. You mean or what? Yeah, yeah. They say they. Yeah, they were saying they <clears throat> they were not going to commit themselves to go and be exposed to the students. Wow. wow. I, I see Adrian shaking her head. So oh, she agrees. I understand that perfectly. No, no I will not. You, yeah. You're worried about that? I am terrified. And I, yeah, will, I will not be going over there. 
I'll you're, eat online. They're coughing and sneezing all the time, even when they didn't have the COVID. Or they're touching. I don't know what they're doing when they're outside <laughs> the classroom. They're, you know, they want to party, just like we're seeing. Yeah. Do now. Florida, I mean, yeah. the college students, I feel like, are doing a lot of that. I mean, a lot of the population is doing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But young people are definitely doing it. And oh, here yeah. I am, showing up from my college experience. Um, I'm not going to take some risks. I think I might. Mm-hmm. Well, Adrian, what do you think of the president's uh, pronouncement that all schools must open fully right now? And if you are, let's say you're a, a sixth grade teacher in a public school and you have 41 kids in their class, are you going to be anxious to do that? How are you possibly going to protect yourself? I, I, I have no idea. I, I don't even know how those people are sleeping at night. <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the uptake to that, I don't. And I keep seeing stuff on Facebook where t- teachers are saying, you know, teachers don't make the rules. So one person the other day was saying, for example, please start training your kids now about sort of the mask wearing and what they need to be doing because they're not going to mm. begin those rules when they get into the classroom. Um, it's terrifying. I don't, I don't know. I consider myself very lucky to have the option to continue online for the time being mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to die at work. Mm. The re- president is an idiot. Well, that's not new information. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, Fred, you know, uh, uh, George sent me a note saying that we didn't give you a chance to answer your qu- uh, your question last time about you said you would thought you might have gone you've been better off going to Morehouse than rather than Harvard and Adrian is from Morehouse so you can uh, deal with her right here now answer that question no I I didn't say I thought I would have been better off particularly but I do sort of I find myself from time to time sad that I missed the black college experience Um, all of the fraternities and sororities and the steppers and uh, my my first wife, uh, her folks taught at Virginia State College. And when I visited there um, to a basketball game or whatever, I I really liked the the energy. You know, I mean, it felt like something that came out of my neighborhood. Uh, Harvard basketball games and football games <laughs> did not. <laughs> so what, what do you think about that, Adrian? Is What is the Morehouse experience like? Um, I think that the Morehouse experience is very important. Um, <laughs> you know, five minutes after I got there, uh, the HBCUs, I think, take a lot of slack for not being particularly good. Uh-huh. And five minutes after you get there, it is eminently clear why you would choose to engage in an HBCU experience. Um, yes, you know, the, the sports, sporting events, the camaraderie, um, your ability to focus on black students, this cannot be matched anywhere else. Adrian, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, you know, when we went to Harvard, there were 18 of us and we were four times larger than any other group of Negroes that had gone to Harvard up until that point in time. But now there's several hundred. Uh, so we, it was very difficult to have a black experience when they're 18 out of 1,200. But if there are 100, 150, or 200 at Harvard, I'm wondering if 
you get much more of a black experience. We certainly didn't have a lot of black clubs at that point in time. I think you do. <laughs> Did you go to Harvard? No, I went to Brown, a superior institution. Ooh. Whoa! Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Superior to Morehouse. Her audio off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are there many white students at uh, Morehouse? No, just a few. Uh -huh. And they can't dance. They probably, uh, they probably can, actually. Well, we're going to dance out of here now. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Last Negroes at Harvard podcast. And do read the book about us, The Last Negroes at Harvard. Talk to you next week.